I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. And tonight, I'm joined by the one and only, our best pal, our best buddy, BFD. How are you doing tonight, man? Uh, I like the really melodramatic trip monk way that you opened up the show tonight. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. I took, a, I took a coffee nap earlier and had some absurd dreams. Like my favorite dreams are the ones where I'm like in an amusement park <laughs> and I have one of those. And it was just really intense. I was crying in it. <laughs> and uh and then i went to the gym and so i'm i'm very melodramatic it's hard to get back up from where i was earlier today <laughs> awesome well let's start the show off the right way by opening yeah. up a beer and oh i thought i thought you were going to meant by this did you know that <laughs> the houston texans botched the 2019 offseason holy crap look i've been here here's the deal here's the deal when it comes to this offseason I have been a huge football fan, like, literally since I can remember. Um, I remember watching the Oilers play in 1975. I remember seeing Billy White Shoes Johnson and Robert Brazil when they first started out. I remember Earl Campbell's rookie year, like it was yesterday. And when I think back at all the off-seasons I have followed the teams, the Oilers and the Texans, I cannot think of a worse off-season where I have been so horribly disappointed by how it's gone, according to what I think the team should have done. I, did they botch this off? I don't know if they could have really done a whole heck of a lot worse. Yeah, and it's, and it's also those things where, like, sometimes the worst thing you can do is not make a decision, that the indecision is just even worse than you making the wrong decision, because at least you learn from the wrong decision. And, like, this offseason is kind of like if you have no hobbies, you don't learn anything, you don't do anything but hang, but hang out, and then you waste your entire 20s and you're 35, you have no experience and no skills. Uh, that's how like, the Texans' entire uh, offseason has been, where they – this wasn't like last year where they didn't have cap space and draft resources. They had capital, they had cap space, and they pretty much came away with, like, the exact same team as last year, with just, like, one or two, you know, slight improvements. But uh, are these improvements, like, substantial enough considering their schedule and everything else? And with Watson, you know, on his rookie contract, like – that's where the, the thing comes in play, where it's not like they didn't make any, I think, horrendous decisions, but they just didn't make any decisions. And it was the inaction, indecision that made this offseason so bad. Yeah, and I can't really agree. I like the analogy. I think it's a great analogy. Because, you know, my son, he makes mistakes all the time. My daughter makes mistakes all the time. I'm like, well, at least you're trying. Yeah. But the, the difference between how this season could have shaped out and how it did shape out, I mean, it was like, we went chasing after Tywin Matthew, which was stupid. And then 
And, Thank God uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Too. Oh, goodness gracious. Them. That would have been horrendous. If we re-signed him instead of Tayshawn Gibson, that would have been – that would the only thing that could have made this offseason worse is by making that decision. Or if they traded Clowney. As or if they team. traded Clowney. Yeah, that's those, true. Yeah, those are the two things they couldn't have done they, they didn't do, thankfully. But, yeah, entering this offseason, they had seven draft picks, including four top 100 picks. They had two second-round picks this year after you know, Dwayne, trading Dwayne Brown, which they kind of sort of used to just take an offensive tackle anyway which is just uh, really beautiful. They had $78 million in cap space entering the offseason after they released Marius Thomas, which was like a no-brainer decision. And so like, what were your expectations in the offseason whenever they had this much draft capital and this much uh, free agent cap space to spend? I expected at least – I expected them to play in the cornerback market more than they did. Uh, it would have been nice to have gotten, you know, a Morris Claiborne type guy. And he's it was still just, there. He's, uh, I thought he got signed recently. No, nah, he's still there. He's still there. Well, yeah. I mean, and what are we doing? What are we, what are we doing with all that money? Oh, he is on. I thought I saw that he signed. Maybe he just yeah. visited. But I think we really should have gone hard after uh, Roger Saffold and improved our offensive line. I think uh, there were Matt Paradis, Paradis, the, Center for the Broncos. We should have gone after him hardcore. We're the Carolina Panthers now. Yeah. And, and we just sat on our hands. We kind of drew – it seems like Brian Gain threw, drew lines in the sand. Okay, this is how the market works, kids. This is how the market works. The market sets the price. Just because you don't want to pay that price, it doesn't really matter. You have to pay the price. You have to pay to play. We didn't go after Trent Brown. I get it. I understand that one. Yeah, and he's not he, worth eighteen million. He's not worth because you have to play him at right tackle, which is where I where the Raiders are going to play him. And uh, so you go after Saffold, you go after Paradise, you go after these guys who can improve your team. You go after Sue, you go after freaking McCoy, who's out there, Gerald McCoy, who's out there. Now you go after guys and make these signings, and then we're sitting here looking around, going, "Wait a minute, this is what the Colts did. They got a lot better in the off season." I no, I I will say I hate the Colts offseason as much as I hate the Texans offseason. Like they have seventy million dollars still. They still like they their pass rush is Jabal Sheer and Justin Houston. Like they should sign Gerald McCoy. They should go after Malik Jackson. They should have gone over Shelton. Like the same players the Texans didn't go after, they should have gone after. Uh, I don't I really understand. Like they're just on I think they're just expecting them to pay some guys in the next year or two. Like they have a longer outlook, but I think they just they just didn't do enough at all either. Like they're a team that should be contending for a Super Bowl, and they didn't make moves like they were contending for a Super Bowl. Yeah, and, I mean that's a good point. You're right, and it's a lot of the cross. I like the fact that it's so much crossover. Like both teams are making the same. Yeah, teams. but at least they signed Houston. Yeah, we didn't sign any help for the pass rush. So, and then then we lose each other for for the year. That's huge. So, um, yeah, I guess so. Like, I mean, my expectations were that Deshaun Watson's on, on the third year of his rookie contract. He's being paid less than Sneo Calamante this year. Whenever he gets his contract extension, not next year, not the year after, but whenever his fifth year is up, he's going to get paid like $30 million a year. And whenever he's paid $30 million a year, you can, you're going to have entire units of your team. You're, maybe your entire defense is going to be bad because you're paying one player $30 million. So there's cuts that – I get made around the roster. You have to draft really well as well too to be able to sustain like success. And they need that player to be a top five quarterback. 
If he isn't, then you end up like the Detroit Lions. And if he is a top five quarterback, you know, in draft well, you end up like the 2010 Saints and Chargers where you're just mediocre and you win seven games and you win maybe nine games and you lose a lot of close games. You kind of waste that entire time. And so that's what you're up against. And so they're paying Watson $4 million. They have, you know, uh, they had $70 million of cap space during this offseason. And, like, the biggest move they made was bringing Bradley Roby on a one-year $10 million contract who is an awful number one cornerback but a fine number three cornerback on a really good secondary, which the Texans don't have. They brought in Tayshawn Gibson to cover tight ends and, like, play the deep half of the football as a free safety, which is fine, allows Justin Reed to play strong safety. But, like, that's it. Like, those are their two big moves. And I just think it's unbelievable considering how much uh, cap space they have this what they came away with. And the second thing also, too, is that they go into the NFL draft. And, like, I still had, like, hope about the offseason in the draft because of the players that you know, were kind of falling, what was made available to them. But they need to get guys who could start now for this year because of, their, uh, because of the way they spend free agency. And they didn't. They ended up with three projects in the, with their first three picks. Kahal Warren may be the best player. I think he's going to be the best rookie they're going to have on the team this year. And even that part of it's even unbelievable too, where they're just setting themselves up for three years down the road maybe whenever they have Watson and pay $4 million. And uh, I really could, I couldn't believe it. Like they could end up with you know, Andre Diller and Greedy Williams if they want to. And so they have two offensive linemen. They don't know where, they, where they're going to play, when they're going to be able to play. And Johnson, who's just like tall and big but doesn't know how to play cornerback. Yeah, and then you, the underlying problem to the project situation on the offensive line is who's going to coach them up, Devlin and O'Brien? They have no track record of success. We have seen line, offensive linemen come through the Texans organization and leave it worse off. So do you really – I don't they trust go somewhere guys. else and play better. They play Brand better. Got better. Xavier Suofio was better in Dallas than he was in Houston even. Uh, ben Jones got better in Tennessee. Like, you know, everybody who leaves gets better. Everybody who comes here gets worse. Zach Bolton's been worse. Calamente's been worse. Uh, you know, I guess Chris Clark got a little bit better. Ken Lambler had a pass block. But, like, even then we're talking about very, like, like, we're talking about, like, somebody going from a 62 overall to a 65 overall. Not like right. Brandon Brooks going, you know, becoming, like, an all-pro guard in Philadelphia, too. Uh, but so, like, they this offseason, just kind of like a quick recap, they released Demaryius Thomas, Kevin Johnson, Mike Tyson, and Ryan Griffin recently. Kendall Lamb, Tyron Matthew, Kareem Jackson, Alfred Blue, Christian, Christian Covington. They all signed elsewhere to other teams. Andre Howell retired. So of all these players they lost from last year's roster, which player do you think Houston is going to miss the most? I, I really hate losing Kareem Jackson. I'll just flat out say it. Um, I, I like he's, the signing of – playing safety too in Denver. The last, oh, did they move him back to safety? Because they were talking about putting him in a quarterback yeah. when they signed him. He'll play him. some corner here and there, but, yeah, they said he's, he's practicing at safety already. Okay, good. Because to me, he's one of the best safeties. He really is one of the best safeties in the game when he's allowed to play safety. We didn't allow him to play safety. We kept having to put him in the slot and put him on uh, an outside receiver as cornerback, and that's not the, his best use. And I, I'm going to miss him a lot. Not only that, he's he, – I mean, there's almost no sure-handed tackler in the NFL in the def, uh, secondary than Kareem Jackson. I'm going to miss the heck out of him. Yeah, and he's also just like – Fun to watch. Like, aesthetically, he's an interesting player because he's, like, a safety who just demolishes people attacking. <laughs> like, how he's evolved into this. There's not, like, really anybody like him at all in the league where he can't play man coverage at all. You know, he, he's whatever in, like, short coverage zones and stuff. But just, like, whenever he, whenever anybody comes up to him, he just splatters them. You know? <laughs> That's great. Um, 
I think, you know, you say we're kind of the same team. I, I kind of look at the defense, and I think we're a little bit worse than we were last year because when you look at the net of losing Hal, Matthew, and Jackson from safety, and then who we signed, I don't know how much improvement I really see from those positions. I mean, the biggest one you're going to say, okay, Roby's way better than Wright, but we're going to ask Roby to do things that Wright couldn't do either. So, or the, we're going to ask, you know, Roby to do things. Never mind. I put that badly. But Roby can't do a lot of these things. And, you know, it's not like Lonnie Johnson's going to come in and really be able to start at cornerback on day one because, man, he wasn't good in college. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wasn't good in college at all. And everybody said he was good. It's like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, you start. It's one of those things, like, you start you – you go watch the guys and then you hear people saying, you're like, what are you even watching? <laughs> well, they give, like, you an example of this play. I'm like, no, this is – like, you're, you're missing the entire point of it. And the same happens – that's kind of interesting about watching film, too, where, like, smile breaks up and I see it again. Like, okay, I, can, I see it now. Like, I'm wrong. I can see it. But some of the stuff that's been kind of thrown is just absurd. I do think, though, they're probably going to play – like, Luke wrote about, they're going to play a lot of cover three and cover four probably. Yeah. And some play a lot of cover three in Jacksonville. I think they're going to play mainly zone coverage. And then if they have to play man, you know, you have Roby against number one wide receiver, which is better than Joseph there. It's not good, but it's better. And so because of that, I think Johnson can play right away. And uh, so I think the cornerback groups can be better. I think it kind of offsets, like, the safety losses that they had. I think Gibson with Reed for another year, I think the secondary is going to be about the same because of it. But the question is just, like, J.J. Wadge and Avian Clown being healthy for an entire year, being the entire pass rush again. And that's kind of the bigger concern where now even more so than last year, everything is, you know, your entire defense is dependent on them being healthy. Yeah, because if we lose one of them, we've got no pass rush. They're gonna, we're going to get shut down at that point in time, no matter how good and transcendent those two are. And then, you know, the bigger, you know, we talked about in the offseason, I think it's really a big deal as, it, as this team starts to evolve is that J.J. Watt needs to kick back inside. We cannot keep him at defensive end. He needs to kick back especially in uh, sub-packages and, <clears throat> and help the inside rush. And we've got to put, you know, stop putting – if we're going to rush four, two of those guys are crappy pass rushers, and we've got to stop doing that. We need to get the best guys who can get to the quarterback out there. Yeah, and it's also – it's just they made Whitney Merciless completely, you know, useless last year by having him rush as a not, wide nine edge rusher. He's not that. He's not a bend and rip guy. He's not a guy who runs the arc. He's a hands. He's a hands and rib player. He needs to be tied to the offensive tackle. And so whenever you move him as a wide nine, you make him completely useless. And then you have you know Watt, Watt and Clay are both really good defense edge rushers from defensive end position. But whenever Merciless is your third best pass rusher, you don't have another pass rusher. One of those guys has to rush as a five or a three, so Merciless can play as a five or and that sort of thing. Just to be able to make sure that he's in a good spot where he can actually be, you know, good again. Yeah, you're right. Because we need a lot more. I'm already so worried about this team getting cornerback. And look, if we're going to you know, play these kinds of zone packages, we're going to give teams a lot of time to find mm -hmm. gaps in those zones. Yeah, all those like quick eight-yard passes for first downs, you know, over and over again. And also, you know, well, I guess we can kind of save that point for the end. Uh, do you think Houston's going to really regret letting these players go? Because like, I can't imagine it's week six. I'm like, yeah, man, that was really stupid. They shouldn't have, like, Kendall Lamb sign with Cleveland. Or, you know, I miss Kareem Jackson, but I don't think he's going to be imperative. Like, I don't think Houston's going to be 2-5 and five in Week 7. And like, yeah, they're 2-5 and five because of Kareem Jackson. I don't think the issue is that they lost anybody really important. I think it's more that they didn't do enough with the resources they had available to them. Yeah, and I have to agree with that. I don't think any – you know, I 
Kareem Jackson is probably a hell of a bias on my part just because I've enjoyed watching the guys. He's had one of the most crazy career arcs I've ever seen from a football player. And it's almost, it's like Glover Quinn on steroids kind of career arc. And it's, it, he's just a lot of fun to watch and I'm going to miss the heck out of him. But yeah, the rest of these guys, these are, you know, bottom of the line kind of roster fillers kind of to me, you know, Alfred Blue was the worst running back in the NFL. Brian I Griffin was the worst tight end. Jacksonville too. Like Jacksonville lets TJ Yeldon go for like two years, $4 million. And they resigned and they sent Alfred Blue. Yeah. Like, what are, what are y'all even doing at all down there? Call me up. I'll tell you how it works. <laughs> You won 2.5 yards of carry, and so I can't make anybody miss. Okay, that's who you need. Then. And, he, and he's still tackled by the you know the the traffic cone too. Yeah. Oh boy. So in free agency, the Texans added Bradley Roby, Tayshawn Gibson, Brian Body Calhoun, uh, who I guess is going to compete with Aaron Colvin at the slot corner position. Uh, Darren Fells, even though I wrote Darren Fields, which I think I'm going to call him for uh, <laughs> every single time he's in the pass block this year. A.J. McCarron, Matt Khalil, Tywin Jones, or Taywan Jones, I should say. I'm sorry, uh, Taywan, I said your name wrong. And Jaleel Day. So that's what they did with their $78 million in cap space, and they still have $40 million uh, left of it. So which signing was your favorite? Easily Tayshawn Gibson. I thought that was a great signing to help replace Hal and help replace Cream uh, Jackson. He is more of the center fielder type. Uh, he's a guy who I've really enjoyed watching play over the years, all the way back you know, in his uh, Cleveland days and with Jacksonville. He's a good little player who's going to do. He's going to do a very good job for us. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to watch him. It's me cool to have somebody can cover tight ends again, like AJ Boye did whenever he was here, because nobody really has been able to cover tight ends for Houston at all. Uh, you know, as good McKinney is, you know, you don't want him in coverage. You know, you couldn't even use Cream Jackson covering tight ends. So it'd be fun to watch him do that. And like having a guy who can step in at free and allow Reed to play strong safety. I think it was very important for them to find this offseason and to get that not by not having to pay my $15 million to Tyron Matthew, but get that for, you know, 10 or eight or whatever it is he signed for. Yeah. And Gibson's a better player than, than Matthew. That's the other thing I liked about that. If you look at that kind of as a trade, we got the best end of that deal. Yeah. Yeah. Once the entire Matthew wasn't good, he tricked you into thinking he was good. You wanted him to be good so bad. You believed in it. He the, just liked to yell a lot. The honey badger myth. Yeah, my favorite was like the everybody, like the people who get paid to talk about sports. Like, as soon as he's gone, he's awful. I can't believe blocking right. him. So it's like, y'all are cowards. We've been doing this for seven months. He blocked me seven months ago. Like, he argued with like a British kid because he referenced pro football focus grades and wrote a blog post about him. You oh. know, like, what? I mean, just what a just sensitive uh, person that man is. But whatever. Uh, he's not here anymore. I just. Yeah, the real the real ones got blocked seven months ago. Though, uh, I I my my favorite one was Gibson too. I did like the Roby signing, but they should have made that signing two more times. You know, right? They just brought in two other guys for one year contracts. So they should have gave Ronald Darby one year eight million dollars. They should give Morris Claiborne one year six million dollars. If it doesn't work out in training camp, just cut them. It's not like it's going to count at your cap for more than one year, anyways. And uh, they should have made more signings like that because. This coverage unit is so bad, and it was really made up for last year by playing against a bunch of teams that ran the ball not because they were good at it, but because they, it was the best option they had, their only option, because they were some of the worst passing offenses in football last year. Yeah, and um, I would have done the same thing, and I'll throw Jarrett, Jason Verrett out there because I, I think he has yeah, the he's best. Yeah, he's been good, too. Yeah. I, I would have taken a lot of these guys over 
over who we did, you know, well, and who we didn't sign. You know, Brian, Brian Body Calhoun was good his rookie year. He's been terrible the last two. Um, I don't know what you're really expecting from him, but we should have thrown him just – we should have carpet bombed cornerback, brought them all in, let them fight it out, and cut the rest so you don't make it. Yeah, kind of like what they did with the offensive line. They should have done with the cornerback group, and they really didn't. Like, I, I don't know, I think they feel okay with where they're at with it. But I, and it was a bad cornerback market, too. Like, you yeah. can't fault Brian Game for signing, you know, Roby and Calhoun and Gibson. But like, he should have just made more of the sorts of signings, you know. And uh, it's, it's even more uh, grueling now that we're over here. So I think we both agree the Texans didn't do enough from free agency. So what did you want Brian Gain to do differently? Who are some other players that you think they should have signed in the moment? Oh, I guess I kind of cheated earlier. I mean, I, I would have, you know, again, the offensive line was sitting right there. We just talked about, you know, we should have signed all the cornerbacks. I, I just, I really don't understand not signing Morris Claiborne if he's still out there. I mean, if you're really, if you're happy with those cornerbacks on your roster, then your talent evaluation is poor. Um, <clears throat> I like the fact that we didn't overpay Trent Brown. So, but we could have done, we could have improved the team quite a bit. And this team is in win now mode. I see a lot of people who went from teams in win now mode at the end of the 2018 season who say, Oh no, 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 we're playing for 2020. Now that makes a hell of a lot of assumptions. It's unbelievable about the offensive line improving. That makes a hell of a lot of assumptions about how Lonnie Johnson plays. This team is no longer playing for 2020. We're playing for 2021, 2022 at earliest. And especially if this is how gain is going to treat free agency where Look, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna cross any lines, which means I'm not gonna sign anybody who's halfway decent. Then you're you're hurting yourself. That's just how the game has to be played. Mm-hmm. And you know who plays for 2020? The New York Jets, or the Miami Dolphins, or the Arizona Cardinals. That's who plays for 2020. Because you can get better in like what it takes one year in the NFL to short schedule to go from like a two-win team to a playoff team if enough things break right. But the Houston Texans don't play for 2020 with the talent they have on this roster. Uh, the, the two big signs I think I, I would make for sure is I would sign Roger Saffold to get like outbid by Tennessee by like $2 million. And I don't know if it's an analytics thing with Houston or Brian Gang just has a number. He's not going to go past the certain guys. Cause like they may have some sort of cost benefit analysis on a spreadsheet that says this player is worth, you know, 15 million a year. And we're not going over that. Or they just have this number in their head. I don't know how it works, but because everything on the field shows they don't really uh, use analytics and all. But to get outbid by Saffold, he could come in, start left guard, be able to block the second level, immediately make Martin better, immediately make your left tackle better in the run game, uh, who's a really great pass protector as well, too. To not sign him, I think, was really like just unbearable. Because like, at least you'd have two starters on your offensive line for sure this year, and Saffold and Fulton. And then you can make everything else kind of mix out. And then the other, I would assign Sheldon Richardson or Malik Jackson. I prefer Richardson because he's more of like a one-versus-one pure pass rusher, whereas Jackson's more of a guy who gets open on stunts and creates stunts for other guys, which is great. Like, you know, whenever you have Clowney and Watt, they're playing defensive end. But uh, he's not going to create like that individual matchup terror like Richardson can create. And so I, those are the two guys that I would have spent, you know, $15 million each on. And even like those two signings and grabbing two, like, Pro Bowl level starters is an enormous impact to make on a roster instead of just like sitting here still $40 million. Well, you had to give Angelo Blackson that, that cold hard money, right? Yeah, that $4 million he got. <laughs> and see, and that's. Factor. Oh my God. And see, and you could probably go, you know, Sue is still out there. Go sign him. No, he's he signed the Bucks. Oh, did he do that today? Yeah, he signed uh, the Bucks. Son of a gun. So the Bucks cut 
McCoy. I even McCoy. wrote about too earlier in the year that McCoy's cut, they should sign him. Or even like thinking about trading for him as well. And I wrote about that like in March. And so, yeah, they released McCoy and signed Sue. Yeah, because we talked, we talked about him on the show too, about going and grabbing him. I mean, these are all guys who could have helped us. They all improved the interior pass rush. And we did not, you know, a menu, a menu. You don't like him. I like him more than you do. I think he's going to be good for five sacks a year. You don't like him that much. No, I don't, I don't think his pass rushing at UT correlates to the NFL. Yeah, and you may be right, but I, I think he's, you know, I think he will be an upgrade over the Christian Covingtons that we've had. We'll see how it plays out, but that's not enough. That's, that's not enough that we should yeah. have done when we've got so much money out there. And look, you can talk about, you know, signing Justin Houston was stupid because he's going to be $10 million a year for two years. So that's not mm-hmm. going to impact their cap situation at all. Yeah, and also Houston's a, a wide edge rusher. Like, if you're going to put Watt and Clowney defensive end, he can play – he can come in and rush the passer on third down from a wide nine spot, and you can still get the edge rush that you're looking for, you know? Yeah, and, well, I, I was more going about the money. You know, why give Sue $10 million a year for two years? Why give, you know, Richardson that kind of money? It doesn't matter. And, you know, that's a silly argument because they're going to be off the salary. You know, they're going to be off the uh, books anyway within two years. Mm-hmm. Never is going to impact the team. Overpay them because it's just – Uncle Bob's money that you're spending. Who cares? Yeah. And, it, and for the next two years, it doesn't matter. Like, it, and you, as long as you sign contracts that you can get up after two years, it doesn't matter because then you can renegotiate and figure out, and then that's when you have to actually pay Watson. And they really didn't operate like that at all whatsoever. I uh, think the point, though, is that, like, there was a lot of good players out there that they didn't sign that they could have signed that could have made this team better immediately for this season. So the other thing is, so I mentioned earlier, Watson's going to make less than Sonio Kelmente this year. Next year, he's making like $4.5 million. And sure, like their biggest needs, cornerback, offensive line, interior rush. There weren't spectacular options available. But there, there's players that they were there. There were good players available to them. Uh, so do you think they're going to regret not taking advantage of this you know, this year? Or do you like actually think the Texans are really – do you like think not the fan bases, but do you think the Houston Texans as a, as a team are actually really building for 2020? I, I don't know. And I think it's a really legit – question and because I've been I've been running this through my head it's like how do you go into either you're so blind to how you're successful in 2018 that you really think you're going to be um, competitive in 2019 with basically the same team and kind of the same decision making tree but your opponents are going to be so different so is it possible that we're kind of sandbagging in 2019 maybe I don't know why you do that because it puts another year on Clowney another year on Watt another year on McKinney the cornerback situation is still trash, and that's not that's more difficult to improve unless you're taking guys in the first round. So are we playing for 2020, 2021? Well, Watt might not even be in the NFL at that point in time. So I don't I don't know if they're sandbagging for this year, but you know, Matt, I'll say right now, this is a five or six win team for me in 2019 because we don't match up well again against our opponents. And we did not do anything to improve this roster for this year. Yeah. Are they going to regret it? I don't know. I don't know what they're, what they're thinking. Yeah. I, I don't, it's just so weird to me. Cause like, I mean, you, you've seen so many options. Like even go back to last year, I think 50% of the teams in the playoffs had a quarterback on rookie contract. Golf was on rookie contract. Tom Bray's pretty much on a rookie contract. Cause it only takes $15 million. So the Patriots just pay him under the table. Patrick Mahomes was there on a rookie contract. And then you know, the Saints are paying Drees big money. 
But you look at the difference, you also see what happened in Minnesota last year. They're paying Kirk Cousins $30 million. He's not making everybody else around him better. They dropped from an 11-win team to an 8-win team immediately. And there's a difference between paying Case Keenum you know, $300,000, whatever he got, and paying Kirk Cousins. And uh, it's like you have to – this is too good of an opportunity to pass up for next year or the year after or whatsoever. And, like, these opportunities don't come up, you know. And so you can't push that forward. So I don't know what they're doing. At least it, it's a terrible idea, but at least it would kind of give some credence instead of the fact that they just feel like we're good where we're at. We're happy with the team that we have. Uh, we don't want to spend too much money and be situated with contracts that could be bad after one season that we may have to pay for two seasons. I don't know. I, don't, I really don't understand the reasoning or rationale behind what they did this year. Is it like Aaron Colvin syndrome? You know, sign him to a big contract. He doesn't do jacks. So you're never going to sign another free agent. Maybe. Yeah, don't ever try to fall in love because you may get hurt. You know, <laughs> don't ever try to do that again. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the draft class and a couple other things. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we're back. So that was kind of like a recap of the free agency period. But in the draft, they still have the opportunity to like get a lot better. And so I know we talked about it after free agency, and you were uh, a lot more pessimistic than I was about this team like you know, this year. And I still had some hope. I still had some youth in my heart, uh, some springs you know, still seeping out of my pores. And the biggest reason was that they had a lot of good draft capital this year, and there was good players available for them to take, especially with a draft that was so heavy at the front seven positions, especially at you know, defensive line, where the Texans didn't need the defensive linemen. So other guys could drop down. And sure enough, that's what happened. And they didn't really get anybody who can start this year. They got Tyus Howard. And, like, Tyus Howard, you know, I'm excited to see what happens to him. But even he wasn't – he didn't think he was going to be selected in the first round. He went to his press conference wearing a polo shirt, you know, which is, like, something you wear, like, uh, it's like to school in high school, you know. And, like, he wasn't even ready at all for it. He didn't think it was going to happen even, but he was. They drafted Max Sharping, a guy who doesn't have a passive that translates to the NFL right now. They drafted uh, Lonnie Johnson, who is big and strong, but does not use his strength at all, is a very good run player, doesn't, can't play press coverage at all, doesn't have foot, foot, the foot speed to play man coverage at all either. They took Kale Waring, who I really like, Charles Menier, who, who you like, Xavier Crawford, and a fullback in Colin Gillespie, who is not afraid to hit anybody. Don't you forget that. But like, I'm looking at this draft class, something about this year, and I think if – Howard or Sharping star, it's going to be because they took them high, not necessarily because they, you know, really fit very well. And uh, I just – I could see, like, none of these guys really starting, you know, right when the season starts. And I just think it's, it's a lot of projects, a lot of development that they took in, in the draft. And so whenever you combine that with the, the inability or the decision not to add starters to this team this year, like, it's, it's just perplexing to me. Yeah, to, to say the absolute least. It, this reminds me, I think it was the 2014 draft. I had to take a – I'm cheating and having to take a look. But it was when we took – it seemed like the entire point of that draft 
Just to get big and strong. Yeah. And everybody loved their draft too. All the experts said A plus. The Texans got big and strong and physical this year. And uh, so you know we. Um, I'm sad the Lewis Nix thing never worked out. You know. Yeah. Right. He never even played a snap. I don't think. Uh no, he didn't. I don't think so. And and so that's what this draft reminds me. We got big and strong, but did we get football players? And I don't know if, if the answer to that question is just yes right now. But, you know, I look at Howard and, and Sharping to me are just massive, gigantic projects. I mean, there's, there's a lot of comparison of Howard to Dwayne Brown, but that's rubbish. I mean, Dwayne Brown was a tr- is a truly elite athlete who has, who has incredible foot, you know, quick feet and, and already had a lot of the basics down, and he played at Virginia. Mm-hmm. You know, he played at a big college. And t- Howard doesn't have that. And I look at Lonnie Johnson, the only guy who comes to mind when I think Lonnie Johnson is Lonnie Ballantine. And so who was big and strong and couldn't play football. And so I, I just, I look at this. It's really weird saying that the third round pick really needs to carry this draft. <laughs> yeah. And even like, as I love Warren too. Like I think he can block, I think he's going to be the team's best blocking tight end. If we don't count fouls, who's like a good pass blocker. That out of the Jordan rookies, he's a better he's a better blocker immediately. He's a better athlete, I think. I think he'll be better, better getting open, all that sort of stuff. I don't really look at him as a project at all. Everybody's saying he's rough and raw. I don't see that really at all with him. I think it's just an easy thing to say. But that being said, I'd rather have Andre Dillard than Titus Howard and Cahill Waring. I'd rather have uh, I'd rather have Greedy Williams than Max Sharping and Lonnie Johnson. You know, and like I know, like typically that's not how the draft works. So you want to take as many swings and as many players as possible because it's mainly crapshoot. But like those are guys who at least have like a skill set and athletic, you know, testing wise that shows that they should be able to come in and play and start right away. Whereas you know these these other guys like uh, Howard uh, Sharping and and more uh, Howard Sharping and Johnson, like I just don't see it. Like these are all guys who. Unless they have a spectacular summer where they grow really fast uh, and like they figure it out really quickly, I just don't see it for this season, you know. Yeah, and um, we're really beating that that dead horse now. But that's I want I want to really stress one thing that you did say is that's not how drafts work. And we had a lot of decisions that we could have made when you're if if I'm Brian Gain and I see Andre Dill is still there, three, four, or five picks ahead of me. There is no way in hell I risk him getting snatched up I mean to me the drop-off between Dillard and Howard is tremendous and so I'm saying okay fifth round pick fourth round pick what is it going to take like a third third round 2020 pick you know even even so you know if you if the guy that you want is there you go get him you don't lay back and let other teams you know have at it it totally totally reminded me of the 2005 draft with Derek Johnson right? Derek Johnson's just waiting there and then you trade out and you're hoping he falls back. No, no, go get the guy you want. Go get the guy who fits your team. And we, we failed to do that. And so what we did is we had, we, we really had to stretch ourselves. We took Howard and then we took uh, Sharping and then Johnson. So it's like, wow, you know, these are all stretches. Every one of these is stretches. We could have got, you know, move up and get Greedy Williams, move up and get Andre Diller. Give, who gives a crap about your seventh round pick? Who gives a crap about your fifth round pick? Move up and go get guys. You're going to, the difference between your fifth rounders and your UDFAs is minimal. Yeah. And I, I guess I mean more like that's not how draft works because the way the draft works is that you just take a bunch of guys and it's a crap shit. Who knows? 
And that's like how it works over the course of, you know, thousands of picks and an entire population instead of a sample. Uh, but like in the case of the Texans, what happened in free agency, like I, I feel like they should have been more aggressive and just try and take like two really good guys instead of having four guys. And also the other weird thing too is like Jawan Taylor is there too. Whenever they went to like Tyus Howard, Jawan Taylor could start right tackle for Houston immediately. And he's a good run blocker and a good pass blocker. Andre Dillard's an elite. He, and like an elite like rookie pass blocking tackle if that means anything at all but he can come in and pass block at the left tackle position right away he just has to learn how to run block but even then like you're looking at a guy who can come in just block like pass block for 10 years you know and you don't have to worry about that position at all anymore and uh, like Greedy has the prototypical like he's the number one quarterback sort of player I think him and Murphy that the Cardinals selected are going to be you know, both really good and they even could took Murphy in that spot too and they didn't do that either so I mean, I don't know. Like, if this was a rebuilding team, I would think it was still kind of a strange draft class, but it is a rebuilding team. And that's why I just I didn't like this draft at all. And like, the only hope I had was I was like, I'm really excited to watch Lonnie Johnson play. Like, maybe Lonnie Johnson is really good. I just had never heard of him. And then, like, I watched two games, and I was just despondent, just upset. So, yeah, there's nothing left at all. And, like, Kale Warren made me smile a little bit. Burning, you know, division, like, one – Fringe Division one, eight, one talent uh, in the Mountain West, but even then, like, it's it sucked. It sucked. <laughs> and then the last two picks, Xavier Crawford, who doesn't even – I mean, he looks like a typical UDFA to me. And Cullen Gillespie, just – look, you're telling me he his phone would have rang, like, three days later, that he would have gotten UDFA offers three days later. <laughs> Are you really saying that? Like, he's that good? Like, the guy who just started learning how to play fullback and doesn't know how to play the position was worth the seventh-round pick because he looks like he has fun on the field and he's not afraid to hit people? Golly. Just on that alone, that's just a massive fail. Well, and also with – I mean, like, complaining about a seventh-round pick is, you know, peak Ballard Radio. But, like, he would have signed with Houston the, as soon as the draft ended. Like, he's from the area. Like, he would have, he would have signed here. It would have been that hard instead of using a pick like that. At least just, like, go get some freak spark score guy in that spot. And also, I mean, I don't know. It's a fullback, too. Uh, So I I think we're both in agreement that we think Warring is the player who has the best chance to make an immediate impact on the season. Is that correct? Yeah. And, again, let's just go back to, you know, coming out of that draft with with Dillard and Greedy Williams, I think our attitudes are pretty, pretty strongly different about where this team is heading into the 2019 season because you've got an upgrade at left tackle and you've got a number one cornerback and you can just throw them out there and let them get toasted for a while. At least there's something to grab onto for the 2019 season. Instead, we're going to be looking at Bradley Roby, you know, chasing around T.Y. Hilton from behind all season. Yeah. So that's not, you know, we could have done things a lot differently. And it's not even just T.Y. Hilton. It's uh... (laughs) Michael Thomas and (laughs) – there's just like like I, I say that sentence and I'm like flabbergasted by all the players that they have to cover this year. It's Keenan Allen. It's Michael Thomas, like you mentioned. It's uh, there's just so many. There's so many of them. I don't. We'll be here for five minutes talking about all the players. All the players they're gonna have to cover. So like the biggest weaknesses were offensive line, quarterback, and do you think they did enough to improve them? We'll start offensive line first. And what do you think is even the Texans starting offensive line combination this year? Like week one, like nothing you say I think is a bad pick or bad batch of picks. Nothing you say surprises me. I, 
Uh, sure, I believe it. Julian Davenport's at center, believe it. <laughs> None of it is too far-fetched. And, and let me – a little aside with this is, is I, what I see, especially when I, when I see the quotes from the press conferences and what they really are saying, it's like the only thing they really seem to care about is versatility. And it's like, yo, this guy can, this guy can play 14 different positions. He's like every player has to be like Jim, uh, James Casey where, you know, he has to be able to punt the ball, be a long snapper, be a tight end, and be a fullback. And it's like, no, that's not actually really how you want to put together a football team. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a 1920s baseball team where not only you have to play baseball, but you have to cook. Right. You have to do the laundry. Or you have to, like, call the – you know, set the bus rides and everything else. So my guess on opening day – jeez, I don't even know where to go with this. Um, I think what I put in when we did that post was I think I put Davenport at left, um, tackle, Fulton played right guard, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So left guard was um, Celemente, or Calamente. Um, center, Zach Martin. Um, Nick Martin. Uh, right guard, Fulton, right tackle, I think, I think is going to be sharping at this point in time. Gotcha. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> I the one thing that I would probably bet my life on is Matt Khalil is going to start left tackle this year. Like they paid him seven and a half million dollars. Like as long as he doesn't blow out his quad, he's going to start left tackle. So I'm going to say it's going to be Khalil left tackle, Rankin at left guard, Martin at center, Fulton at right guard, and Titus Howard at right tackle. Now think about this. Think of, think about this with me. Let's all join hands and do the kumbaya thing visualize this as a starting offensive line andre dillard at left tackle roger saffold at left guard martin at center fulton at right guard and i don't know davenport or rankin at right tackle yeah it sounds good <laughs> sounds like a you can even say like they probably may even been able to take howard in the second round too right and like whenever they came back they could have probably taken howard uh, the second round, so you'd say Howard or Sharping yet, you know, right tackle as well. Uh, the only thing that's – I guess the only good thing about this offensive line just mess, like it really is just like you got drunk and you're playing game Monopoly and just knock the whole board over. <laughs> or like a puzzle. Now you're trying to put the puzzle together and figure it out. But the only good thing about it is that at least like I, I really don't like training camp. I don't like preseason because it's everybody just talking about all these things that don't matter and won't have any, you know, importance for like the upcoming season. But everything gets nitpicked and, you know, this player looks great here and this player is bad and none of it matters at all. But at least for this year, like there's something that's going to have some, that's going to be substantial and mattered. It matters is to me the offensive line, how they play and this entire like big, you know, uh, Lord of the Flies offensive line competition that's going to go on. Like I'm really afraid that, you know, Rankin's going to get his head cut off like Piggy or something, you know, it's going to be so violent and gruesome. Uh, this train camp for that, you know, for those offensive line spots. The, the thing that worries me, aside from the fact of who the leadership is, who's supposed to develop these guys, is is when I look to see what we did with Davenport last year and, and, and jerking him around uh, at the beginning of the season, are they just going to jerk everybody around, like, for the first six, eight weeks of the season? Probably so. I don't yeah. see how it doesn't happen. Yeah, probably so. I imagine it's just going to be a waterbed all season where – it's just me. Everybody's just me constantly just moving all over the place. And then even then, like, for it, I could see Santrell Henderson starting at right tackle. Like, 
Ryan Game loves Sancho Henderson for whatever reason. Yeah. He's never been good in his career. He's been healthy since 2015. And, and oh, my gosh, dog's going nuts. And, and uh, you know, and if that's how we do treat it, if, if we do, do treat it as a waterbed, then that's a year of lost development. Yeah. The games are cows, not the practices. You've got to see those guys playing in the game. That's how you develop. Yeah, bust out the Zima and hop on the waterbed, you know. Yeah. So they, they couldn't do anything worse than what they did last year at Davenport. And I just don't see how that doesn't repeat this year. Yeah. And like, I understand. I love Davenport. I understand if they want to move on from him. And like, every, the, two of the, the really dumb the things, the two things that make me mad lies, people say Davenport's bad. He's a bad right tackle. And it's ranking can't play tackle. No, he can't play left tackle. And like, watching him last year, like, yeah, this guy shouldn't play left, but he could probably play right. You know, I, I kind of, you kind of remind me of Derek Newton and you watching him, but. Uh, I can understand if they decide to move on from you know, Davenport uh, after everything else they did. So, whatever. So, at cornerback, do you buy that the Texans are going to play a lot of zone coverage, like what, like what Luke wrote about? Or are they just trying to add athleticism to the cornerback position? What do you think about what they did there? And by, I just want to say – I just want to throw this out there because I think it's important. You know, it's not like Davenport uh, wasn't uh, an early uh, – what is he, third-round draft pick? Yeah, I think so. I think he was, he's third or fourth. I think he was fourth. So, I mean, it's not like we're just wasting that, that draft pick after a couple of years. If, we, if we're giving up on him, that just seems like a waste. If, you know, I realize that was a Rick Smith fourth-round pick. That was a Rick Smith pick, but still, the difference between Davenport and, and Howard to me isn't huge. Yeah, well, and also Davenport, I mean, I had to look up the, the chart numbers I did, but I think he gave up double the amount of sacks at right tackle than right left tackle. tackle last year. Like, it was just unbelievable the difference between the two. And, like, how they did that for three weeks was just – I mean, it was just wretched. And uh, that Titans game is probably the worst. Like, you just – I just felt so bad watching Rankin and Davenport out there just flailing uh, because of the situation that they were in. So, Rick, answer your – Blaine Gabbard beat the Houston Texans in week two last year. Right. <laughs> the fake punt that nobody covered was still – it was so funny. It was beautiful. And the only reason we won against the Colts was because Frank Wright make, made a stupid decision. That should have been yeah. a tie. Yeah. Anyway, um, so the cornerback question. Cornerback, yes, I, I, I absolutely think Luke is right. I think he nailed that. It, it's, I don't know what else we're going to do. We're not going to get. We don't have the guys who can play anything other than zone because you can't trust them. I mean, having Gibson as a free safety is going to help. Having Justin Reed, who's got a lot of speed at strong safety, helps. But I, I don't know how you can leave Joseph on an island or Colvin on an island or Roby, or any of these guys on a one-on-one type situation without a lot of help over the top, which then means at a minimum you're playing cover two man. But is it even, do you want to even do that? I wouldn't trust any of those cornerbacks, even in that kind of scheme. Yeah. No, I mean, they're going to have to play two safeties back all the time. And, like, I can see you running some cover one robber or, like, Reed's playing, you know, shallow in the middle a little bit. But you're going to have to play two guys back just all the time. But, I mean – I think it was fine what they did considering what was available. I just think, like we talked about earlier, they should have done more. Uh, they should have signed at least one more guy, like Verrett, like Darby, like Morris Claiborne, like at least one more guy to make it work out, especially after the Lion Johnson pick. Uh, so I know you said you think this roster is worse this year. Do you still stand by that statement? I, no, I, I say that. I, I guess maybe there's a certain bias. Let me put it a bit differently. You can see where other teams, even the Colts, which you I know don't like their offseason, 
where you can see where they improved at certain positions and you can see where they're going, excuse me, where they're going to be better next year. I mean, look, the Titans signing Saffold's huge. So you can see where every team in the division got better, quote unquote. And but I don't see that better on the Texans team. I think the defense is going to be roughly the same. And the offense is, is a, is a cluster kitten at best. And like the skilled players can be really good, but you talk about health. I, I mean, really like this season. They're, I think the roster's a little bit better than last year, but it's not good enough considering the situation that and their cap space that they did have. And so, like this year, they're projected to have the hardest schedule in football this year. They're playing the AFC West. They're playing a first place schedule, and they're also playing the NFC South. And they're playing against a bunch of teams with good quarterbacks, but teams that can really throw the ball well teams that absolutely obliterated him last year. And so, like, this year, it's all about Deshaun Watson. Like, Deshaun Watson has to be an MVP player. If Deshaun Watson's an MVP player, they should – they have a chance to make the playoffs. Not that they should make the playoffs, but they have a chance. Like, I'm expecting them to be, like, a 9 or 10 win team if Watson's, like, an MVP caliber player. If he isn't, like you mentioned earlier, calling the 5 or 16, I think they'll probably be about 500 if he isn't. Because uh, I think Watson's really good, and that sort of thing. Maybe they win enough close games and all that. And O'Brien still has been able to, no matter what, if the team is you know somewhat healthy, be able to get at least you know eight wins, nine wins out of them. So uh, I think that's what this this what this set up to. This has a whole set up to Watson has to be like a top five quarterback or a top seven quarterback. And as of right now, I don't see I don't see him being there, especially in the offense O'Brien's been in. And like O'Brien said, there's no ceiling to Sean Watson. He's the ceiling. You know, the ceiling can't see the ceiling when it's hanging up over everything. And uh, it's also going to depend on how he, uh, you know, coaches him and what type of offense he wants to run. If he's trying to do the bare minimum or if he's going to go out and try to score 31 points every game. Yeah, and I don't see any reason why that Tiger is going to change his stripes. I think Bill O'Brien's still going to try to establish the run at all costs. And he's going to and, – and without offensive line, we're going to have to leave in six, seven blockers at times to, to keep Watson from turning into pink mist. I, I, I don't know what Bill O'Brien's going to do differently than he has the last four years with the quarterback situation. Establish the run, conservative passing game, with a few exceptions when, when plays start breaking down and Watson can do something with his feet. Man, I, what I see is I see the same damn Houston offense from last year, and A.J. McCarron tells me that because he's a pocket kind of guy, and it tells me that – and then drafting a dadgum fullback <laughs> – tells me they're going to try to go back to establishing the run and scoring 18 points a game. Yeah, the McCarron thing you brought up horrified me. I brought up in the comments like yesterday, Tila. That's my biggest fear. If like what you say is true. I, I, and I do think you're onto something for sure, especially after the, the Gillespie signing too. And if I see someone wearing a Gillespie shirt while I'm in college station, I'm fighting them. I don't care. <laughs> it can be a 19-year-old, you know, uh, Iron Man. It can be a 72-year-old man. They're going to they're gonna beat me up probably, but I'm going to make a thing at it. So, like, as of right now, are you thinking what's – your, what's your season win total prediction, prediction you're picking for the Texans as of now? For, for me, I think there are five or six win teams. Um, because here, here's the biggest deal for me is the reason that Bill O'Brien has been successful as a head coach and the reason he always got those nine wins, that 9-7 that and seven record year in, year out, is because we're winning six games against the AFC South opponents, five or six games a year. Um, almost every game because those teams are really bad. The Colts, Jaguars, and the BESFs were terrible during that span when Bill O'Brien took over. So I think over that three-year span, 
if I, I'm trying to remember the, the numbers correctly, but he was something like 85% winning percentage against the AFC South yeah. and like 33% against the rest of the NFL. We no longer have that weakness. The Colts and the Jaguars, to me, are both markedly better than the Texans. And I think that the BSFs are pretty even with us right now from, from how they're going to perform next year. We don't have the AFC South to beat up on anymore. So who, who do we beat up on? We the Bucks and the Raiders? Yeah, that's it. And I like I like the Bucks. I well, I don't think the Bucks should be good this year exactly, but I like the Bucks. They're my and, favorite team this year. And who that who are we gonna cover on the Bucks? We're not gonna cover those wide receivers. They're all like six foot four. <laughs> In fact. Yeah. OJ so, Howard, Bray, Perriman, uh, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans. They're all like six foot four. And running the Bruce Arians air raid offense. Yeah, oh it's beautiful. I love it's, it. That team they took six straight defense. They took five straight defensive players and added Sue. I'm, and they have all these like young first round defensive picks from the past, and they break out. I can't wait to be a Bucks fan. Now they they're going to be better than people think. Just, and Bruce Arians is going to will them to be better just with that offense. They're going to win games, you know, thirty eight to you know thirty one. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad somebody's with me on this. One. I've been saying it all year, and everybody's made fun of me except for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if Watson's MVP level player, I'm ex- I think they can make the playoffs. As of right now, I would I would say we're about Houston's about even with Jacksonville. They're slightly better than Tennessee. They're not as good as the Colts, and with their schedule and like also with kind of like their big jump last year and that sort of thing, I would put them at like being an eight win team at the moment, just because the top end talent is you know so good. But uh, yeah, I, I think if you're expecting like a, a for sure playoff team, this isn't that at all this year. And like they needed to have a slam dunk off season where they got substantially better with the schedule that they had. Because a lot of times, like in NFL season, the most important thing is who you're playing. And the Texans have a, a horrendous, you know, slate ahead of them. So I would put them at eight wins right now. And uh, that's me being even more optimistic than I probably should be. Yeah, I have a lot of concerns. Dante Foreman, who's going to be the number two halfback? Dante Foreman? We're going to trust them coming off the Achilles tear? I wouldn't be. I would have drafted a halfback. Instead of drafting the dadgum fullback, you draft you – draft, there were guys in the fifth round who had great spark scores at halfback and could play special teams. Draft them. Don't yeah. draft Xavier Howard. Yeah. Uh, so, the, the, and so, real fast, we didn't have a lot of viewer questions and more like listener statements. But uh, Gerald McCoy was cut by the Bucks today. This is a player who can rush in the interior, something the Texans don't have, something they haven't had since – Antonio Smith played in pretty Houston. Much, pretty much. I mean, he's probably – or since, you know, J.J. Walker as a, as a four-eye. But, yeah, they should sign Gerald McCoy. And, like, the reason why they should sign Gerald McCoy is a very good tier rusher. And I was so mad today earlier because, like, you know, Gerald McCoy gets cut, and then PFF, you know, has a tweet that's like, he had a rating of 78.6 last year, 30th among all defensive linemen. Who cares? I, I mean, like, I, I hate PFF. I think their scouting scores are fine. Like their, their charting scores are fine. Like this guy against on this route, you know, there's a quarterback rank of this or this many yards he catches. But the amount of like effort or the amount of like backbone that they take in these player scores that mean nothing and the amount of like, uh, like acceptance of them that people have is absurd. And really all PFF has done is it's allowed people to, because everyone wants to have an opinion. And it's a lot of people who don't watch the game or take the time to go and watch the game to have an opinion about everything. Because you can say, is this player good or not? You can look it up real fast. Oh, see, his PFF score is 
62, no, he's bad. Now you can talk on the internet about him. And that's what they've done. They completely have ruined like any sort of meaningful rioting or discourse of football because of these stupid player grades, and I hate them. And uh, the, you know, this Gerald McCoy player grade is just another example of that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know if there's a question involved there, but back up the truck and give him money. Give him two years at $15 million. I bet you he does it. We've got the cap space. Go freaking do hey, it. Give him two years, $30 million. The Colts are even more risk-averse than Houston is, or probably just as about – and there's no, I, I would guess he would sign with Indy, but I don't think Chris Ballard would give him $15 million a year. Yeah, which is silly. They've got the room. Yeah, they should do even more than Houston should. Yeah, because yeah. they've got the team. They've got a legit 12-win team at this point in time, I think. And, they're all, and also, like, they're super young, too, everywhere else except for, like, you know, quarterback and wide receiver, I guess. But, yeah, this is the time to – usually young teams get better, you know. Old teams get bad, young teams get better. And the Colts, you kind of assume that they'll get better next year. So, yeah. I don't know. I'm mad now. But, uh, anyways, that's our show for tonight. Thank you for listening and all the viewer statements and uh, the occasional, you know, question. Sometimes we get questions after the show records, which I think is going to happen tonight. But uh, thank you for being on tonight, BFD. We'll be doing a show on in the backseat of the car on the way to New Orleans on Thursday. So uh, look out for that Thursday night or Friday morning. And then I think next time we'll probably do a podcast. I think we'll probably have to do the, the run and shoot Oilers Bills uh, retroactive that Chris wanted to do because I don't have anything else to say about Houston really at all for like another two months or so. So right. I'll try to scrape some content together, but it's going to be harder to do. Yeah, and I'll do that show. I, was, I watched that game. Damn it. I, w- I would like to do like a, like a revisionist history where I email all of you and ask you questions and you respond back and I put it all together, put some <laughs> gifts together, and, uh, and that sort of thing, you know. Really make a good Grantland article out of it. That would be fun. That would yeah. be awesome. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening right tonight. Thank you for being on tonight, BFD. Once again, my name is Matt West. Thank you for listening to Grantland Radio. Woo!